If you would this morning, put your hands together and welcome my good friend, Jim King. <laughs> Thank you, Bridge Church family. What an honor to be with you today. And before we begin, I do need to clarify something about the video. We didn't want to make it too long, so we could not put the part in there uh, that detailed how I was a child evangelist when I was three years old. I was preaching children's crusades, and Pastor Gary, when he was nine, was still sitting on his mother's lap, and they would attend. Just want y'all know the record. Honored to be here today. Thank you so much. As you can tell, we're very good friends. You know, as we've worshiped this morning in the services, I have been struck by the fact of what a wonderful God we serve and what a wonderful church this is. I got here before most of you guys this morning, so I drove into the parking lot, and the parking lot already was partially full of probably hundreds of people it takes to pull off a weekend service here at the bridge and people coming early and serving. And I just was struck by the fact, don't take for granted what God has blessed you with. It was Jesus who said, I will build my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. His church. So we're not bragging on man, but uh, it made me think in worship service in the first service, and I told this story. Uh, when we were living in the former Soviet Union in the early days, days of it opening, we've been ministering there 31 years. And uh, in the early days, they would tell the story of when Nikita Khrushchev, some of you are old enough to remember that name, who in the 1960s was the premier and the ruler of the Soviet Union at the time. They would tell the story that Nikita Khrushchev in the early 1960s stood on the stage of the Kremlin Palace in Moscow, Russia, Red Square, and he made this statement. He said that by the year 2000, we will present on this stage the last living Christian on earth. He predicted the demise of Christianity on the earth. So 23 years ago, he predicted it would already be over. It's funny that some 25 years later, after Khrushchev was long off the scene, about 25 years later, another man stood in the same spot on the stage of the Kremlin Palace in Red Square of Moscow, Russia. He spoke to that crowd a little bit different message. His message was, Jesus Christ is the eternal King of kings and Lord of lords. That man was a pastor. He happened to pastor a little struggling church in Seoul, Korea. His name was Dr. David Yonggi Cho, and his church had roughly, at that time, one million members in one church. All I'm saying to you today is, Khrushchev was wrong and Cho was right. Jesus is still the eternal King of kings, Lord of lords, and building his church. Aren't you glad you're part of that church? I'm talking about big church, but the bridge is a very uh, significant part of it. Thank you, Pastor Gary, for the privilege for Pam and I to be here today. Uh, I honor this couple. Uh, they're not only dear friends, uh, and I have said this privately, but there's no man in the world I trust more than I do Pastor Gary as a friend and confidant, and uh, he's a great preacher, a great leader, and uh, Anne, and you, you bridge women, I know everything you hear because my wife uh, plays it all the time. Uh, I bought a rowing machine recently. I'll be in there rowing, and I'll hear Ann's voice teaching, and it's phenomenal stuff. I feel like I need to go buy a purse or something just to, you know, say... Uh, I qualify, but it's just the, the, the different ministries. And I said this in the first service. I didn't mean to embarrass you, Zach, but uh, Pastor Zach, I've known since diaper days, 15 years. <laughs> I've known him uh, since he was born. And to watch he and Ashley as a young couple, God putting their hand on their lives. He's an excellent preacher and teacher. And what I'm saying is you're a blessed church. 
the worship that you have is phenomenal. The team that you have, the staff here. We travel all the time. We're in different churches all the time. Nobody does it with excellence like this, just in preparation of us as coming. And I'm just saying, don't take it for granted. Because a lot of work goes into it, but to God be the glory. Amen? Well, my job's to preach, yours to listen. If you finish before me, please wait on me, will you? I don't, I don't go long, I go fast. I got 30 minutes. Not because Pastor Gary told me, but my wife said, you don't get lunch if you go longer than 30 minutes. So here we go. I brought a golf club. We're going to read in a moment 2 Kings chapter 4, and then I'll tee off. This represents a story that I'm going to read to you from Scripture. I had an event happen recently that brought this story that I'm going to speak to you from Scripture. It brought it alive to me, a story that I've read many, many times. I got the wild notion here recently that I'm going to start golfing. In my 60s, I'm going to start golfing. It was precipitated partly that I'm on a board of an organization in South Texas, and we were having an annual board meeting. The leader sent out an email and said, after the board meeting, we're going to golf. I just emailed back, and I said, I don't golf. In my 20s, I golfed quite a bit, but then some couple of things happened that necessitated I quit golfing. And so all these decades, I've not golfed, and most people probably think it's crazy. You know, at this age, I'm going to start again, but I determined I'm going to. And partly because we go get there, and they just insisted I go out with them on a golf course. I said, I don't golf. I don't do that. And, but I went out with them, and so I had to rent some clubs from the club to get on a cart to go out on the golf course, and they were junky old clubs. But these are the guys who are really good golfers, and they've got all the new stuff. Well, I don't have the new stuff. I have the old stuff. This is the old stuff. This is my driver from back when I used to golf. This is a ping driver made in 1982. Now, this right here is not exactly what they were golfing with. So they said, why don't you just, just you hit, use our clubs? They've got all the new stuff, all the new technology. And I hit with some of that, and I thought, whoa, this game has totally changed over the last 30-some years to the point that it was stuff like this. This is a, a new driver. This right here is not this. I promise you, this is not this. This right here will make a preacher cuss on a golf course. I didn't, I didn't say I did. I said it'll make you want to. This right here, grandma could hit that. Maybe not perfect every time, but it's a whole world of difference. I'm talking about game changer. So they all said, you got to get you some new clubs. So I, I called a friend of mine who pastors a church in Southern California. I live in Tulsa. I called him in California. You may have heard of him. His name is Gary Martin. And uh, I called him and said, I think I'm going to pick up golf again. He said, well, you need to get you some new clubs because he knew I had this old junk. Like he said, we've known each other 45 years. For some reason, all these decades, I've left this in a closet. I don't know why I still have them. They're still sitting in the closet. My irons are older than that, made in 1978. I mean, I probably could get a million dollars for them, antiques. I don't know. So about a week or two later, this shows up via FedEx on my front porch. And it's from that pastor in Southern California you may have heard of, Gary Martin. I called him and said, what's the deal? Why'd you send me that? Those are not cheap. He said, yeah, I know. He said, uh, you know, I, I got me a new one. He said, so he said, I thought, I'm just going to give that to Jim. Change your game. This right here is a game changer. And I said, well, I appreciate that. Thank you for thinking of me. And here's what he said that made this Bible story come to my mind. He said, actually, he said, I had it laying in my attic. I got me a new one, and I put that one in the attic. I thought, that dirty dog. All this time, he had in his attic something that would change my life just laying there. Now, you're going to see what I mean when I read this scripture this morning, but my question to you is, what's in your house that might be a game changer for somebody else? 
I'm not talking about the game of golf. I'm talking about something much more important, the game we all play, the game of life. I think you'll see what I mean when we read now. Follow me as I read. They'll put it on the screen. 2 Kings chapter 4, verse number 1, a Bible story about the prophet Elisha. The prophet Elisha in the Old Testament, the word of the Lord basically came to people through the prophets in the Old Testament. Jesus came, brought us a new and better covenant. Now God by his spirit lives in us. But in, the, in these days, they would come to the prophet for the word of the Lord. And here comes a woman with a very severe need in her life. Verse 1 says, A certain woman of the wives of the sons of the prophets cried out to Elisha, saying, Your servant, my husband, is dead, and you know that your servant feared the Lord. Her next statement I find interesting. And the creditor is coming to take my two sons to be his slaves. Now, this lady needs her game changed. She's obviously left widowed, left broke, has a debt, can't pay her debt, and she says the creditors are going to come and take my two sons to be his slaves. That sounds very odd, does it not? But actually, in Bible times, people would put their children up as collateral for a loan. You couldn't make a car payment? Come and get my kids. Isn't that crazy? That wouldn't happen at my house. How about yours? Right, babe? I want to introduce my wife to you. I forgot. I didn't introduce my wife, Pam. She's traveling with me all over the world. <clears throat> now, if creditors called and said, you didn't make a call payment, I'm going to come and get your two kids. I can tell you that would not happen in the king household. You say, how you know that? She's little. She's petite. I know, but she is Sicilian. <laughs> Truly, she is Sicilian. I sleep with one eye open myself every night. You've seen the Godfather? That's her uncle. It wouldn't happen in my house. Now, I think there were a few days she would have maybe negotiated for Drew and Natalie when they were getting on her nerves. You know what I'm saying. This seems so very odd, but this lady's in a desperate straits. And so in verse 2, Elisha said to her, What shall I do for you? Tell me, what do you have in the house? Look at your neighbor and ask him that question. Would you come on, do it with me. I know some people that makes you feel uncomfortable. Get over it. Say, what do you have in the house? She said, your maidservant has nothing in the house but a jar of oil. She didn't have much, but she had something that could make a difference, that God could use. Then he said, go borrow vessels from everywhere, from all your neighbors, empty vessels. Do not gather just a few, and when you have come in, you shall shut the door behind you and your sons, then pour it into all those vessels and set aside the full ones. So she went from him, shut the door behind her and her sons, and she brought the vessel, they brought the vessels to her, and she poured it out. Now it came to pass when the vessels were full that she said to her son, bring me another vessel. He said to her, there is not another vessel. So the oil ceased. Very important concept. As long as there were vessels available, there was oil. When there was no vessel to work with, the oil ceased. The oil represented the provision of God, the power of God, the miracles of God, the anointing of God. As long as there's a vessel available, there was oil. Then she came and told the man of God, and he said, go sell the oil and pay your debt, and you and your sons shall live on the rest. For the next 25 minutes, I want to speak to you, but I'm not the teacher here. I mean, if you know, the Holy Spirit is the teacher. You see this book I speak from called the Bible? It's a living document. How many believe God's Word is alive? Amen? And it will speak to, the, to you. Will you pray and say, God, speak to me today. Father, in Jesus' name, as I do my best to speak words that you want me to, I want to speak only the words you want, but teach us, Holy Spirit, Something individually for each of us, I pray in Jesus' name, amen. Before I start, look at your neighbor and say, you look great today. I'm helping a brother out. Some of you men have not told your wife that yet today. I'm helping you out. It has nothing to do with the message. I just like people to smile. 
I'm real simple. So if you remember three words, you got this message. You can't go home yet. You got to stay a few more minutes. But three words, and they are simply three concepts that if you want to see God's miraculous work in your life, I don't care if you're on the mission field in the Middle East. I don't care if you're in Temecula or if you're in Timbuktu, Mississippi. These three words out of this story, I believe, are the key. Those three words are available, sufficient, empty. Would you say them with me, please? Available, sufficient, empty. You already have the message, available. God always looks for availability, not ability. He knows he put abilities and giftings within every human being that's well documented in Scripture. You all have giftings. You all have abilities. But God looks for availability because no matter how much ability is there, if it's not made available to God, it cannot be used. In this story, one of the key components to see the hand of God at work is availability. Now, I'm going to talk to you from the mission field, but that just happens to be our mission, our assignment. A mission is nothing more than an assignment. Mission impossible. You've all seen the movie. It's basically an assignment that seemed impossible. Pastor Gary's been teaching you the last couple of weeks on the mission, on the assignment, simply talking to you about God's message, but our world. Our assignment is to take God's message to the world. It's really just that simple. For that to happen, there has to be availability, whether it's locally or if it's globally. One of the greatest examples I know of that came from the mission field, and I happened to read the story just this week. I happened to preach in a church last Sunday where a lady came and brought a little booklet. Her father had written it, and it was basically his journeys in the former Soviet Union, and the most of the places he went, he went with us. His name was David. In fact, the first time he came, he was in his 70s. He lived to the age of 96, and before he died, he wrote little stories about some of these cities, and I enjoyed reading through it because it brought back memories to me. And one story he told, I remember very, very well. In the 90s, when we were living there, you saw in the video, one of our focuses has been church planting. And what we would do is we lived there, we worked with nationals, developed uh, teams that would come in from America, and we'd have a Ukrainian pastor or wherever the place may have been. Most of them were in Ukraine. And we would pick a city, we'd go in and do an evangelistic outreach and plant a church. Out of that, we would leave a pastor there, we would rent them a building and plant a church. And so back in the season when we were doing that real heavy, David came a lot. There was a city we went to called Periyoslav, and he was on the trip. And we usually would do a week, and it was the seventh day. It was the last day of the event. And everybody was tired, and what we do is every day go do school assemblies. There was about a seven, eight-year period there in the Soviet Union where you could literally go into schools and give Bibles to kids. Kind of funny, we could do it there, couldn't do it here. That's a topic for a different day. But that window was very, very, very broad at the moment. <clears throat> and most schools will allow it to be done. On the seventh and last day, or the last day, whatever the day was, uh, the, the, one of the pastors that, that was local that we worked with said, I know of a little town out in the country that nobody, they've never seen an American. If somebody would be willing to go, it would be such a blessing to them. David, the oldest guy in the group, was the first to pipe up and say, I'll go and I'll take Bob with me. That was his buddy. And they got in a car. We loaded them with books. And what they were, the books are called the Book of Hope. And it is the Gospels written in chronological order, uh, really understandable for school st students, and it leads them to a pathway to, to understanding how to receive Christ. 
Uh, One Hope developed it. They developed, spread about two billion of them around the world at this point. This was back in the early days of that. So we loaded the trunk of these books and off they go. As they drove away, David hollered at the pastor and said, call and tell them we're coming. It's not on the schedule. They don't know we're coming. And the pastor's reply was, they don't have a a phone at that school. Just show up. They'll love it. When David returned, his report was totally different. He said, we did not get a welcome that said, we love it. He said, when we got there, there were a couple of women standing on the steps of the school as if they were waiting on us, and they looked mad and angry. He said, we got out of the car. We talked a while, and David is a real outgoing guy. He said, I got nowhere with them. We always had our teams bring gifts because when they were going to school, they would give gifts to the principal, gifts to the assistant principal to warm their heart. And so he said, I started giving my gifts away out on the school steps. He said, I wasn't getting anywhere. It didn't warm anything up. He said, it even looked like we were not even going to get in the building. He said, finally, we got in the building, but the main principal was not there yet. And then she showed up and he said, she was worse than the others. She was mad we were there is the way she looked. She was cold, unwelcoming. He said, by the time she got there, I'd given away all my gifts. The last two I had were in the bottom of my bag and it was two soccer balls I had taken them out and set them on the table. When the principal got there, she did not look happy we were there, but then she spied the two soccer balls. And he said she stared at them for a moment, and he said, I watched and tears began to well up in her eyes. And then she turned to me and she said, Mr. Webb, you've not been welcomed very warmly here. He said that was the understatement of the meeting. He said, but she said, there's a reason why. She said, you see, I know what you're doing. We know what you're doing. Don't you think people talk? We know what you've been doing in the town of Periosla. We're all educators. We know what you're doing. I know what you got in the trunk of that car. She said, but what you don't know is, I don't want you here because I'm a complete atheist. And I don't want these children having those books, those Bibles. That's what she was talking about. She said, but therefore we've not been very welcoming to you. We did not want you to come here. But she said, what you don't know is our situation. We have nothing here. She said, in the state budget this school year, our school was left out. To this point, we've not received a dollar. Their currency's grievna, not a grievna all year. No teachers received any pay. We've not received a pencil, a sheet of paper, nothing. But our teachers have kept coming and teaching our children because one, there are no other jobs for them to have. Two, we love our kids. But she said, it's a very desperate situation here. She said, the other thing you do not know is that although I am a complete atheist, I'm so desperate for my students and so desperate for our children. I stood right here in this office a couple of days ago and I looked out onto that playground out that window. And David said, you looked out and you saw nothing there. They didn't have anything. And she said, I stood at that window and although I'm a complete atheist, a couple of days ago, I simply said, God, if you do exist, I just wish our kids could have a soccer ball to kick at recess. And two days later, two men from halfway around the world walk in, not with one soccer ball, but two soccer balls. She said, go get your books and give them to every kid that wants them in the school. What I'm telling you is God's able to do stuff like that if somebody is available. David made himself available to go on the trip. Now, you may be saying, I don't want to make myself available. God, he made me live in a grass hut in Africa and a pond next door has got alligators. Probably not. If he did ask you to do that, You'd want to do it. But he might ask you what's in your house that could make a soccer ball available that God could use. I'm probably talking about 15 bucks for two soccer balls. Most of you will spend that at Starbucks this week. 
My son calls it five bucks. He said everything in there is five bucks, not Starbucks, five bucks. That's okay. God's not against Starbucks. But I'm just simply saying most of us have things in our house, in our hand. What I consider making some of it available for God to use. Kind of like Pastor Gary did with that golf club. It was laying in his attic. I bet you there's more golf clubs in that attic. Before I leave tomorrow, I'm going to get up there and I'm going to look for some more. I don't know what's up there. <laughs> Most of us have stuff in our house. If we would just make it available, and I'm asking you, what's in your house? What could you make available to God to be a game changer for somebody else? Available. You see, it's the great commission. You heard the great commission? It's commission. It's you, God, the missionary, the bridge. I stand here today representing many ministries, locally and globally, that I know this church supports through your giving. You probably don't know how generous you are. But you see, as you give and then it's distributed around the world, it's God that puts his hand upon it and takes those tools and those resources. Paul put it this way. They can't hear without a preacher. This is in Romans. They can't hear without a preacher, but they can't go preach unless they are sent. I'm simply saying to you on behalf of all of those other guys and gals, thank you, Bridge Church, for sending because God takes that and uses it for his glory. Give yourself a hand today because you are a generous church. You are a giving church. It makes a difference. There's availability, and there has to secondly be sufficiency. Now, that sufficiency thing becomes a bit of a challenge for some because a lot of us act like he is the all-insufficient God. You say, what do you mean by that? Well, the Bible says he's El Shaddai. That's one of his names, the God of plenty, God of sufficiency, the God of abundance. But yet when it gets personal sometimes, we don't feel like there's enough. And the reason being is because of our human nature. And if we would just ever adopt and buy into the nature of God, the Bible says we are partakers of His divine nature. What is God's divine nature? God's nature is to give. Pastor's been teaching on it. God so loved the world that He what? He gave. God is a giver. Satan is a taker. Scripture again. He comes to steal, kill, destroy. You know what man's nature is? Hoarder. Yeah, go check your garage. Go check your closets. You got stuff in there you haven't seen. If you dig very deep, you haven't seen it in six months. But it's there. It's just man's nature. And we tend to want to get all we can and can all we get and sit on the rest. You know what I mean? And there's something in man that says, well, I won't have enough. I won't have enough. Don't get me wrong. God's not against saving. In fact, God's for saving. The Bible says a man lays up for his children's children. That's why my kids ain't getting nothing. My grandkids are getting it. I'm my kid. You know what I'm saying? Don't you tell them that. I said that. I saw a little Livy. I saw, I'm a grandpa. I love giving. I wanted to give her something. This morning. First thing I saw her back in the office, I wanted to give her something because I'm a grandpa. I'm not even her grandpa, but I'm a grandpa. I promise you, I will give her something, all four of them, something before I leave town. I'm a grandpa. I love to give. That's God's nature toward us. He wants us to adopt the giving nature. Because I just found out that as I take on the nature of God, He's able to keep giving. You're not going to run out. Last time I checked this book, it said something like this. I have never, everybody say never, never. seen the righteous forsaken or his children begging for something to eat, begging for bread. So we have to adopt the nature. But yet, sometimes, even as missionaries, pastors, don't care who you are, we all deal with this. And I'll, I'll give you an illustration from the mission field. When we were planting those churches I was talking about living in Ukraine, the Lord began to speak to me one summer 
start shipping large quantities of humanitarian aid to Ukraine. Now, our whole focus was church planting and development. And it takes some money to plant a church, rent a building, you know, buy the PA system, whatever, pay the pastor's salary for a year, et cetera. And so I'm thinking, man, that's stretching our limit. I want to plant as many churches as possible, but it's like God's got this limit and we can only do so much. And he began to, and I knew it was God because it wouldn't go away. I'd pray and I'd hear, ship large quantities of aid to Ukraine. And I would say no by my inactivity. I did nothing. This went on for weeks, came home, back to Tulsa from Ukraine in the summertime. At my office, got a phone call. Some guy introduced himself on the phone, started asking me questions about what you do in Ukraine. Long story short, he said, I was visiting a church in Tulsa. I saw your name in their bulletin that you minister in Ukraine. I called that pastor. He gave me a reference. I want to know what you do. And I thought, well, you're going to ask me questions. I said, I want to know what you do. Who are you? So he starts telling me, I'm retired. I volunteer for an organization. We procure aid for third world countries, primarily hospital supplies. And he said, I have the nation of Ukraine on my heart and it will not go away. And he said, I pray about it. I still feel like this is all supposed to go to Ukraine. He said, in fact, right now, we have two 40-foot-long ship containers loaded on the dock, ready to go to some country. I feel they're supposed to go to Ukraine. We don't know a soul in Ukraine. What do you do, and are you interested? Now, remember, for weeks, I've been hearing from God, ship large quantities of aid, and I'm saying no because of basically three reasons. Well, number one, I felt like you know, I'm busy enough with what I'm doing. Number two, I don't want to deal with corruption, and every government has some level of it. You have to get around. Number three, I thought, well, God, if I, if I do that, I don't have money to plant churches like God has a shortage. You know what I'm saying? And here I am, the great man of faith, but I'm basically telling God, I don't have much faith for you to do more than what we're doing. But somebody told me one time, faith is stepping out on nothing and landing on something. You got to take the step first. I wasn't willing to do it. So God's trying to make it easy for me. And so he talks along a while. And what's sad about this, this will let you see how terrible it is that I have that attitude. At that time, I actually had access to video footage of children in Ukraine receiving a tonsillectomy while strapped in a chair without any anesthetic whatsoever because they didn't have any. And so here I was living in this former socialist country that was depleted. I could do something about it, wasn't willing to do it. And so as I sat there listening to this guy, I said, well, what will it cost me? That was my big concern. God ain't got enough. He's the all insufficient God. What will it cost me? He said, well, nothing. I said, I, he said, I just told you. We get it donated. He said, we've got it. It's ready to go. It's free. I said, free for me? He said, yes. He said, if you'll give it as aid to people. I said, well, I don't have no other purpose for it. He said, well, are you interested? I, I don't know. I said, how much will it cost me to ship it there? See, I'm still coming back to the all-insufficient God in my head. How much is it going to cost me to ship it there? He said, it's not going to cost you nothing. He said, we have a contract with the federal government of the United States. And if you sign on the contract with us, the U.S. government is going to ship it to your warehouse free of charge in the Ukraine. Now, I'm not the brightest bulb in the closet, but I'm starting to see a deal. You get it? I'm starting to think, this may be not going to cost me too much. Make a long story short, he called me the next day. He said, we're going to give you a third container. They give us three 40-foot-long containers. I have no idea what I'm going to go do with it. I said, okay, we're in. It's on the ship coming to Ukraine. We go back to Ukraine. Before it gets there, we're in a city to do our, our first church plant of the fall, September of that year. We go there. First day, our teams are out in the schools doing assembly. Our main interpreter gets a phone call, and they said, bring this Jim King guy to the city offices. I walk in. Usually, they would say, thanks for coming. 
if you're here, let us know. If you need anything, that wasn't what this meeting was. It looked like a Gestapo meeting with, with a bunch of mad dudes. I mean, they were mad, ticked off, told me to sit down and started calling me every name in the book. Lawbreaker, you're coming here with these people breaking our laws. And I'd never experienced anything like that. I said, what in the world are you talking about? They said, you've got all these people going to these schools, passing out that religious literature. You can't do that in Ukraine. I said, I've been doing it for Ukraine a long time. I live here. They said, you are breaking the law. I said, what law? They said, the law of religious visa. I said, what's that? They said, you can't do that unless you have a religious visa. I said, what, what is a religious visa? They said, well, and what I didn't know while I was home, while God was telling me to do this stuff, and he was trying to get me to participate. Ukraine was changing their laws because it wasn't just Christians coming in. It was every religious cult in the world coming in. They were trying to get control of it. So they stopped it without a religious visa. And they said, you have to have a visa to get in the country, and you have to have a religious visa, and you don't have it. You're going back to that hotel, getting those people, and you're leaving here. You're done. And we had some friends, about 20 of them from a church in Northern California that had come, and I thought, what am I going to tell them? They've paid all this money. They're going to kick us out. We're going to have to go home. I'm sitting there and my head's spinning and I told him, I said, man, I'm not here to break your laws. I'm not a lawbreaker in America. I won't break the laws here. And I said, I just simply, I don't understand why it's like this. They said, well, that's the law and you're done. But I realized the guy in front of me had the power to write the visa right there. And so I was telling the Lord, Lord, what do I do? What do I say? And all of a sudden the picture began to form. Tell them about the hospital supplies that are coming. I said, well, men, if you want us to leave, we'll leave. But I said, Please understand that we didn't come here to hurt anybody. We came here to help. And it's true that we do have this arm that you're seeing it. Help your students, your, your children with moral decisions, et cetera. I said, we also have a second arm we haven't talked about. And I said, that's our humanitarian arm. We have two arms. What I didn't bother to tell them was we just grew that arm right there in their presence. They were watching a miracle right there. I mean, a creative miracle. An arm was growing. Because I had no idea what I was going to do with that stuff. And I said, but we're so structured in our organization that the two arms always have to work together. So if you want us to leave, we'll leave. But your hospital is never going to get any of this stuff. And, of course, I knew they wanted it. And the guy in charge looked at me and he said, Mr. King, I apologize. He said, I did not understand or I was misinformed. I didn't know you had two arms. I wanted to say, buddy, I didn't know it 10 minutes ago myself. We just grew it. (laughs) And here it is. He said, I didn't know that at all. He said, please don't leave. We don't want you to leave. We want you to stay here if you would, please. He said, you can still rent that big opera house you got rented and have your religious meetings. And he said, in fact, I'll come some night and hear you talk myself. And he did show up and come and hear us talk about the Lord Jesus Christ. And we did plant that church that week. We did not get kicked out. And we planted almost 200 after that because there's a Jehovah Jireh God that is all sufficient and he knows how to provide what you need. How many of you believe what you have is sufficient? Here's my point. You may say, what I have to offer is very little. But with the sufficiency of God combined with it, He can take $5, $10, $20, and do more with it than you can do in all your lifetime if you put it in the hand of God. I'm asking everybody to jump on board with pastor and the vision and say, let's help missionaries around the world. I'm not asking for me. I'm asking for them. And just take something of what's in your house during this season that pastor's emphasizing this. And let's see if we can get more into the kingdom of God. Come on, church. Would you, would you do that with us? Would you say this? It's God's message, but it's our world. And it's a commission. We've got to take the message of the gospel to them. He is the all-sufficient God. Again, as long as there were vessels, there was oil. What she had was enough because he's the all-sufficient God. Then lastly, there has to be an emptying. You notice, as she poured out, God kept resupplying. 
Something about when we empty ourselves before God, He knows how to fill it up. You know, some people don't come to Christ even though they feel empty in their life because they don't see how they could ever live for Christ. They don't see how they can do it. Well, guess what? Within yourself, you cannot. But Ephesians chapter 2, verse 22 says that when you come to Christ, you become the dwelling place of God by the Spirit. You invite Him in. You empty yourself. You do an exchange. You give of yourself and say, Lord, come into my life. That's what it means to take Him as Lord and Savior of your life. And there may be somebody, as I close this morning, you're here in this room, and that is where you're at. And I want to encourage you, just empty yourself before Him and say, Lord, I need you in my life. That's what happened with this lady, and God began to work miracles. And I promise you, when you empty yourself to Him and make yourself available to Him for Him to come into your life, you're still going to be the same dude you were when you walked in here, except you're going to have a new nature, and you're going to begin to see that develop. You'll be- begin to start a new walk, and this church will help you walk in that walk, but you have to make that step. I'll tell you the story in closing of a fellow named Nikolai. They put a picture up, and then when they put the picture up, you'll see in the picture two men. One's a thief, and it's the guy in the red shirt, not the blue shirt. I want to point that out. This picture was taken a long time ago. Nikolai was very young, and I was younger. So my grandkids made me gray-headed. And this guy had been in prison already at one point. He's from Creefield Road, Ukraine. He had already been in prison. He had no church background, no church history, no church understanding, no God understanding. He was part of what we'd call a gang, had already been in prison once, out, and then had a remarkable experience happen. When he got out, he went back to his old ways, went back to his old buddies. When he got back to his old buddies, they kept doing the same thing, stealing, doing different things. In the process, they heard about this big church. Well, in that city, there's a church called Church of Praise, pastored by a friend of ours named Gregory, a Ukrainian man, a strong church, and we worked with him in different projects. And, and Nikolai was part of his network by this point. But what happened was when Nikolai got out of prison, went back to his old ways, he and one of his buddies concocted a scheme that they, they thought was brilliant. They heard about this big church. They, again, had no concept of church. But they heard that when people met at church, they gave money, that they collected money. An offering. He didn't know what an offering was. He just heard money there. And he assumed because the pastor was the leader of the church, the pastor had the money at his house. Now, not true, so don't get that in your head. I've been to their house. Not true. It's not how it works, but he had no concept of church. So he just thinks the money's there, so we're going to break into their house. And they decided to do it in an afternoon. They didn't think anybody was there. And so he and this guy, they put hoods on their heads, cover the face, and they kicked the door in. But to their shock and surprise, the pastor's wife is there in the living room. They kicked their way in, and she starts screaming. Well, as she's screaming, she wakes her husband up. Because here's the other part of it. The pastor felt bad that day and came home from the church in the afternoon and told his wife, I don't feel good. I'm going to go back in the bedroom and lay down. And he fell asleep. Pastor Gregory said, I awakened to hear my wife screaming at the top of her lungs these words. You get out of here in the name of Jesus. He didn't know what it was. He ran to the front room and he said, here's two men with hoods masked over their face with a knife on my wife's throat and she's screaming at the top of her lungs. I said to you, get out of here in the name of Jesus. Nikolai later said, he said, man, she scared us to death. He said, she screamed that a few times. And he said, finally, I said, okay, lady, we'll get out of here. And as soon as I said that, she said, you can't leave here. You sit down on that couch. I'm going to talk to you about Jesus. He said, she wasn't going to talk to me about anybody. She scared us to death. He said, we bolted and ran out the door, and we ran down the street. He said, we probably went a block before we remembered to take a hood off her head. We were so frustrated and shaken by this woman when we're holding a knife on her, screaming, get out of here in Jesus' name. 
About two weeks later, Nikolai's pregnant girlfriend becomes gravely ill, and doctors tell him she may not live. He's desperate, kind of like this woman in the story. Where did she turn? She turned to God. Where did Nikolai turn? Only thing he remembered was a crazy woman screaming a name that is above every other name in the earth, the name Jesus. He by himself went back to that house, knocked on the door, and the pastor's wife answered. He said, man, two men came here a couple of weeks ago to rob you, and I'm sorry to tell you, I'm one of those two men. I came to apologize and ask you to forgive me, but I do need help. She said, come in, and he sat down. He told the story. They led Nikolai to Jesus that day. Nikolai's pregnant girlfriend was still sick. God miraculously healed her. Nikolai became a pastor of a church in Pastor Gregory's network. And the other thief became an elder in Gregory's church. I came to tell you that whatever you give, God can take it and use it for his glory because it's a great commission God will work with it. Would you stand with me, please? God will work with you. God will work in your life. You may say, you don't know what I've done, King. You don't know how bad I live. I don't care, and God don't care. He don't care about your past. He cares about your future. But when a person says, I realize I need help, and I empty myself and come to him, you know what he does? He gives you a new start right then, right there. I feel there's somebody here today. This is a day for a new start for you. Maybe watching online, this is a new start for you. What do I mean by that? Say, Lord, I don't want that stuff. I want your stuff. I want your way. I want to know you. I do need a Savior. If that's you, I'm not going to ask you to raise your hand, signify to me, but I'm going to ask you to pray from your heart, but make this your prayer. Own this as your prayer. Say it from your heart, and I promise you, as you empty yourself before him and say, Lord, I empty myself of me and what I want, and I receive you, you're going to find a new path and a new beginning. It's a lot better than you ever thought it could be. Would you pray it with me, everybody? Every head bowed, every eye closed, and Pastor Gary will come. But make this your prayer. Own it. Mean it from your heart. But everybody say it out loud. Say, Heavenly Father, thank you for sending your Son, Jesus Christ, who died on the cross for my sins. I believe the story of the Bible, that you raised him from the dead. And he paid the penalty for my sins. And I have sinned. I ask you to please forgive me of every sin I've ever committed. I turn my heart to you. I ask you to come into my life. Forgive me of my sin. Become my Savior and master of every day from this day forward. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. How many of you glad you know your sins are washed away by the blood of Jesus? Would you like to just take a minute as pastor comes and say, thank you, Lord. Come on, would you like to lift your voice and say, thank you, Lord. Thank God for the power of the blood of Jesus Christ. Amen. Hey, would you give Jim King a good hand this morning for that message? Now, we're going to dismiss in just a moment. So everybody hang tight. Two things real quickly. Number one, if you just prayed that prayer and you've never prayed it before or maybe you've been the prodigal on the run, but you know it's time to come home, that's the most important prayer you can ever pray in your entire life. But here's the deal. That's not the end of the journey. That's just the beginning of your journey with God. We want to help you on that journey. We've got a little booklet. It's our gift we'd love to give to you. It's called The Next Seven Days. It's just simple reading for the next week to help you start that relationship, that walk with God. When service is over, we'll have prayer teams here at the front of the building. They're here to pray with anyone for any need. 
If you would just take a moment, walk down and say, can I get the booklet? They'll give it to you right there, no strings attached. If you want to get it and go, that's fine. If you want prayer for something, you've got questions, they can help you with that as well. We want to help you start your journey with God. If you're in a really big rush and you got to go, right in the middle of the glass doors as you exit the building, there's a counter set up there. You'll see the sign overhead the next seven days. You can get the same booklet there. We want to help you get started in your walk of faith. Can we just put our hands together and welcome new believers into God's family? God bless you. Now, the last thing is this. Every week, pretty much, we close our services and we talk about worshiping God with our giving. We don't put pressure on people. But I encourage you, as we've been doing the last few weeks, continue your faithful giving to God. But remember outreach, missions giving to reach the world. We'll be talking about it more through the month of May. We're making commitments. We're going to make a difference in our world. We're going to help ministries like this ministry touch thousands and thousands and thousands of lives. So I simply today want to say thank you for your faithfulness in giving. God is faithful, and His church is built by faithful people who give. God bless you. Hey, we love you. Have a great, great week. We'll see you next Sunday. Thank you.